0: Hello everyone and welcome to the Constructed Criticism Network. This network is here to help you improve in Magic the Gathering at every level. From popper Leagues to Top 1000 Mythic, we've got you covered. If you want to hear the entire network, head on over to our sponsor at puremtgo.com where you can hear each and every show, each and every week, and check out their sponsor, MDGO Traders, and tell them that the CCMTG Network sent you. Now sit back, enjoy the show, from YouTube, podcasts, and more, here's this week's episode from constructedcriticism.com. How's it going, everybody? It is 6 o'clock on Thursday night, October 29th, 2020, and that means it's time for this, the 92nd trip down the homeward path. My name is Adam, and I've got a few questions for you. First of all, are you a fan of Magic the Gathering? I mean, I really hope so, if you're listening to this show, a Magic the Gathering podcast. But is there something in your life that takes precedence over your magic hobby? You know, other things are more important. You put magic to the wayside, it's an escape, it's something you like to do. But whether it's your job, your partner, your children, any and all of the above, magic is not priority one, but that's okay. Are you still trying to improve? That magic, despite all of these struggles, despite the fact that it puts you at a market disadvantage. Well, if that sounds like you, I hope you've got a bunch of creatures or a bunch of mana laying around, because we're about to have us a convocation. We're gonna look at the three Bs of uh, magical improvement: budgeting, brewing, and breaking bad habits. After a word from our sponsor. ...or about our sponsor. Uh, We are brought to you by PureMTGO.com. PureMTGO is one of the largest depositories of magic content on the web. There's something for literally everyone there. You want commander content, they got it. You want pauper content, they got it. You want limited content, they got it. You want general malaise about the state of the game, they have got it. And speaking of having something for everybody at the competitive level don't forget our parent network at ConstructedCriticism.com our stuff may appear on PureMTGO but we also, we do our own thing too (laughs) Uh, whether it's the regular 60 card formats with Mason and Alley over on Constructed Criticism uh, Pioneer specific on MTG Trailblazers or uh, Pauper specific with common knowledge, whatever the case may be Constructed Criticism's got you covered as the intro stated from pauper leagues to top 1000 mythic and i'm somewhere I'm definitely some decidedly somewhere in between those and then last but not least if you like what i'm doing enough to help me keep doing it head over to patreon.com slash this show is always going to be free and every major piece of content that i put out is always going to be free but if you like what you're hearing enough to keep doing it and have a say in what it is that i'm talking about Patreon's the easiest way to get bumped to the front of the line, as it were. And speaking of words, that start with the letter B. I can do better on segues, but we're going to dive into Budget Spotlight. First one I want to talk about is one that maybe doesn't get the the credit it deserves, because I can't think of a deck that plays this card. Uh, It may have seen play when it was in Standard initially way way back in RTR but I I genuinely cannot think of a deck to place this card and this card is Dryad Militant, Dryad Militant is either a white or green mana buys you a 2-1 creature said 2-1 creature is I mean for for all intents and purposes it's a 1 drop I mean it's definitely a 1 drop but it's, it's a disruptive one drop. It's a surprisingly disruptive one drop because it also says if an instant or sorcery would be put into a graveyard from anywhere, exile it instead. That's pretty big game. I mean, I, I don't know what else to say about it. It's a pretty big game. It applies pressure as a one-drop, two-power creature. It's a two-one. It doesn't apply a ton of pressure, but, I mean, Savannah Lions has been a respectable magic card since alpha. (laughs) It randomly hoses decks built to generate value out of the graveyard, i.e. Phoenix decks, uh the the delve shells the like the decks like it's randomly like reasonable against death shadow because unless they kill it like their thought seizes get exiled their uh the instance and sorceries they mill off thought scour get exiled the uh the thoughts thought scour itself gets exiled they don't have things to delve away to put a giant gurmag angler or tasigur onto the battlefield. If they're playing green, it also weakens, uh, become immense. No, it's just, it's a body on the table that applies pressure while at the same time potentially slowing your opponent's ability to generate tempo. And having that package together in one body is really nice. It's also, thanks to its hybrid cost, you are not locked into one specific color or even combination. there uh it's it's just a thoroughly reasonable magic card next up at rare we have Dramokas command now before i dive in i always do this i forget to name the price on the first card dried militant is every bit 25 cents it is a quarter so your your opportunity cost the cards you miss out on by getting a place at a dryad militant is a whole dollar think we'll manage i think we'll figure it out uh but next up on the list is dromoka's command at two dollars and fifty cents dromoka's command is white and green instant choose two modes as nearly anything that has the word command is an instant is choose two modes uh, target player sacrifices an enchantment Put a plus one, plus one counter on target creature you control. Target creature you control fights target creature you don't control. And, uh, prevent all damage from target spell. that tar- I think it's the targets you or a creature you control. If I'm not terribly mistaken. That's, that's the mode I almost never use so I just forget exactly how it's worded it's largely just to just just used to counter burn spells that are pointed at my face so I, I tend to forget things uh, but the layer of protection against burn spells is nice rather than just trying to aggressively use life gain and getting blown out by Skullcrack of course depending on your format, you may get blown out by bone crusher giant or flaring pain or whatever, but it is what it is. Um, the plus one plus one counter plus fight is probably your most common mode and it is one of the easiest ways to dominate your creature mirrors because you make your creature bigger and then kill theirs. You get to do both things you wanted to do at once. That seems thoroughly reasonable, and it serves as enchantment removal with upside, since it can randomly hose, it can randomly just snipe down a god. That's right, it doesn't say destroy target enchantment, it says target player sacrifices an enchantment, and all those pesky gods from original Theros and Theros Beyond Death happen to be enchantment creatures. So, do with that information what you will. But the fact that it makes them sacrifice an enchantment, it's its naturalized, it's, well, it's demystify with potential upside. Because you can randomly snipe an indestructible one or an X-proof one if the opportunity presents itself. Moving on to our Mythic, we have Voice of Resurgence. And I've waited a long time to be able to put Voice of Resurgence on here. Voice of Resurgence is one of my favorite cards in Magic. I know I don't seem like a Voice of Resurgence guy. I don't seem like a guy who really likes two-drop creatures that are value and, value-oriented and punish the opponent for playing spells in my turn. But good cards are good, and they don't care what you normally like. Uh, Voice of Resurgence is $4 a copy. Basically every addition, too, for what it's worth. And Voice of Resurgence is a white and a green for a 2-2. Two, two. And when it dies, or an opponent casts a spell during your turn, create an ele- a 0-0 zero, and zero, um, uh, uh, maybe an XX elemental. I can't remember the exact thing. Or maybe it's a star-star, whatever the case may be. Its power and toughness are each equal to the number of creatures you control. So, at minimum, this is a two-for-one at two mana, right? It's a great two-drop to curve into, as it usually replaces itself at worst with upside against opponents who do not take text into account when they're deciding when and how to remove something. For example, if you choose to play something that exiles instead of just something that kills it, I obviously don't get the token. But if you play that thing on my turn, I still do. So on and so forth. You know, if you Magma Spray it, it gets exiled so I don't get two tokens. Like, it's, it's particularly embarrassing if your opponent, like, you slam that thing down and they go in-step Fatal Push. <laughs> or end step shock and or or shock or wild slash. That's real embarrassing for the opponent in that situation. I'm like, thank you. I will take four power worth of creatures. I will very much be happy to do that. <laughs> uh, it is valuable. Hang on. Gotta get a little light here. It's getting hard to see. But it is valuable for any creature-centric deck in its colors as it doesn't have to go wide to generate value. I.e., as long as you're getting triggers, you're going to get plenty wide enough. And even if you don't, it's still chipping in for damage as long as you're playing additional creatures. Whether it's hit off a collected company or just turn 1, one drop creature, turn 2, voice of resurgence, turn 3, three drop creature, it's still reasonable. And last but not least, our Commander Spotlight for Budget Spotlight this week is Glare of Subduel. Glare of Subduel is a 50-cent card. It is two as an enchantment, two a green and a white, and it says, tap an untapped creature you control, tap target artifact or creature an opponent controls. And obviously it was the centerpiece of one of the most iconic standard decks of its time in Ghazi Glare, but As far as why it's useful in Commander, it can tap down problematic creatures, whether a Commander with, you know, trying to be Voltron, um, a particularly pesky blocker. The end of turn, the ability to end a turn tap down your blockers can just create a lethal attack because I can tap my whole team, even if I just made it on your turn, tap my whole team, tap your whole team untap kill you uh tapping down mana rocks uh stacks pieces and even group hug pieces is rare disruption for green and white i.e cards like winter orb or uh howling mine that only are negative if they are untapped i can tap the winter orb or i can tap the uh I oh, don't know. Anyway, I can I can tap the the winter orb, tap the howling mine so like draw my card from howling mine and then tap the howling mine so that nobody else gets to take advantage for a little while. You know, whatever the case may be, it's it's useful. It also randomly will tap down like artifact lands. Tapping down a soul ring or tapping down a mana vault is hilarious. Tapping down a mana crypt is hilarious. It's just good fun, right? Good, clean living. It's a way to help equalize the table. And then last but not least, the funniest synergy that I've discovered with it is in conjunction with specifically my wife's Selesnia commander in Miri Weatherlight Duelist. Because while Miri's attacking, your opponent's only allowed to block with one creature. Not one creature per attacker, mind you. Just one creature. Well... The downside being, if you're swinging out at somebody, you're putting yourself in danger of an alpha strike back, right? Well, glare of Subdol gives Miri a way to trigger the other half of its ability without having to expose Miri to the rigors of combat. Uh, the other half of Miri's ability is as long as she is tapped, each opponent can only attack you with one creature. So decks that are going just as wide as you are, you can tap Mary down, tap one of their cre- tap the biggest creature down, and then you set up the potential to instap, tap down blockers from everybody, untap, play coat of arms, and kill everybody. So it's, it's really, really cool. So... That wraps up budget spotlight, and now we move into our brew of the week, which is green white counters. So the neat thing about green white counters is the core engine is actually fairly compact. It's really nice. Uh, Hardened Scales and Conclave Mentor are your enablers, and then your payoffs are largely customizable. For those of you who don't know what those are, Hardened Scales is a one mana enchantment that says if a creature you can if a plus one plus one counter would be placed on a creature you control that many counters plus one are placed on it instead. And it sounds innocuous enough. You know, it's not as, as busted in half as something like a doubling season at similar, similarly low mana costs would be, but the fact that it's a one drop that then turns around and starts to enable you is what makes it is, is the key. It's the, the, the linchpin because frequently what will happen is you will just kind of curve out big dumb creatures and the payoffs themselves for having access to an additional plus one plus one counter are largely customizable and that's what makes the deck so interesting is because there's a lot of different ways to build it you have conclave mentor Harden scales and a whole bunch of things that put counters on creatures that exist in pioneer Whether it's the classic version with cards like Pelt Collector, Experiment 1, Nyssa, Voice of Zendikar, Rishkar, Pima, Renegade, uh, Bossry, Bossry Solidarity. Whether you want to go the Artifact Synergy route with the X spells like Chamber Sentry, Stonecoil Serpent, uh, Hangerback Walker that will enter with an additional counter for each one of those enablers you have. Or if you want to go with the sort of Hydra tribal aspect that gives you the ability to go tall. Like you can play some big dumb creatures and then if they blow everything up, you recover. Cards like Hooded Hydra, if they die, you get a token for each one, each power that Hydra had. And then you can turn around and put more counters on them. So, I mean... And then last but not least you have the hate bear package which allows the combination of disruptive creatures cards like droneth magistrate uh, hushbringer what have you you know droneth magistrate hushbringer with cards like bossry solidarity with cards like nissa voice of zendikar that will then enable you to make your disruptive creatures very very large so your opponent will be stymied as far as their development goes. But you'll be able to, to, to create that kind of time-honored traditional package of disruption plus clock to kill them before they can break the little soft lock you've got set up. Now as far as utility spells go, Dramoka's Command is a house in this deck. Dramoka's Command is really good in this deck. Uh, Plus one, plus one counter and fight. Plus one, plus one counter and make you sacrifice an enchantment. Plus one, plus one counter and prevent that burn spell. Like, all three of that, all three of those combinations are thoroughly acceptable when you've got an enabler or two on the board. Uh, Depending on your configuration... You know, whether or not you're playing a bunch of Planeswalkers and other spells, Collected companies also valuable. Or if you're playing like the, the X-Spell Artifact when obviously Collected companies not quite so enticing. Unless you're playing Metallic Mimic and then things go completely off the wall. Uh, Metallic Mimic, if it names Construct and you flip Hangarback Walker and Chamber Sentry, you will get... A, a one one chamber sentry and there, you'll get a plus one plus one counter on chamber sentry and hanger back walker and then all your enablers will kick in and put extra counters on them fall free <laughs> so you know whatever the build you want to go with it's it's pretty sweet and then as far as can uh sideboard packages go it's got a little bit more to offer than you would think even if you don't want to play the hate bear package in the main deck, it's definitely something you can access in the board especially if you're in for cards like Nissa, voice of Zendikar Basri Solidarity, Basri Cat uh, and then you can sideboard into uh, Droneth Magistrate, Containment Priest you know, and then you get to like turn one Harden Scales, turn two Droneth Magistrate against the um oh what is it? The or uh turn two what is the what is the card? I'm drawing a blank here. I guess containment priest would be a really good one against the, the oops all spells deck, right? You know, turn two containment priest turn three Rishkar Pima renegade put two counters on both. let will start beating you down. You got three turns to break it. Let's go. <laughs> And in particular, something like Dryad Militant is also reasonable after sideboard in this deck. Because not only is it a reasonably sized one-mana creature, it's going to get bigger. It's like that scene from Avengers Endgame with the Hulk. You play your one-drop creature and they look all sad and mopey and you're like, it'll grow. (laughs) So, I mean, green-white counters... As opposed to the more popular green-black counters in Pioneer. You know, green-black scales was the order of the day for a very long time. I would argue the green-white scales deck actually has a better look against the field, because while you miss out on cards like Thought, Season and Duress, trading Conclave Mentor for Winding Constrictor is largely semantics in Pioneer, and you get to pick up a whole bunch of other stuff. Like, really powerful, back-breaking sideboard cards. Even if you just want to go classic and board into stuff like Rest in Peace. It's totally reasonable. And that brings us to our main topic this week. In case you haven't already guessed, it is Selesnia week here on Homeward Path. And we started this guild cycle series, or this, this color combination series, two weeks ago... With Rakdos, we moved the next step around the color wheel and paired the red from Rakdos with the green from Gruel. Well, this week, we're moving the next step around the color wheel, and the green from Gruel becomes paired with the white to make Selesnya. So what is the Selesnia Conclave? Well, first of all, it was officially introduced by name in Ravnica City of Guilds in October 2005. I've been playing Magic for roughly a year, and I hated it. Not because, I, not because it was too good, not because I thought it was great, not because I thought it was broken. I just didn't like tokens decks. And by and large, that's what the original Celesnia deck was. They were depicted as embodiments of unity, harmony, cooperation, and strength with a hive mind and clear roles for every member. The best shorthand way to describe the way the Celesnia Conclave, the guild, is depicted in... The lore in Ravnica, think the Borg from Star Trek, but less malicious. I'm not gonna say not malicious, but less malicious. They're malicious in a different way. Because I mean, it's guilds. Everybody's instead of forcefully assimilating you, they're just convincing you to join, and then yeah, whatever. Uh, it's also notably the home guild of one of the main characters in the Ravnica story the original Ravnica story, this character appears in the first and last book of the, the trilogy. That is Fawn Zunik. who, I'm not going to give any spoilers away if you haven't read the book, you need to go do it. You can probably find it online somewhere, find it in an old bookstore somewhere, I hope you can, because it's good. It was back when Magic Story was consistently good, basically all the time. But moving on what are the strengths of green and white together you know you think green decks you think big dumb creatures for not a lot of mana you think white decks you think lots of small creatures or really good like walls of text big creatures well you get a little bit of both of them selesnia as a guild or as or green white as a color pair identity is about threats you very, very, very seldom get a reactive Selesnya deck. It just doesn't happen. You might, you know, you have... Your your number one strength as a green-white mage is putting creatures onto the battlefield because you get some of the best ones. Or you get the ability to put a whole heck of a lot of them Whatever the case may be, you can put lots of power and toughness on the table. We want to talk about strength of a guild. That's a real big strength. The next step after you put creatures on the battlefield, you want to make them better. You also are good at removing non-creature, non-land permanents. Yes, I know there's a little bit of land destruction in green, but not, not here. You know you go way way back you have mass land destruction in white so if you want to go down the road of a Silesnia land destruction deck you definitely can but the removal that you've got the best access to is the ability to like unique ability to remove non-creature non-land permanence because green is good at that and green is good at removing non-creature permanence white is Decent at removing lots of different permanent types on the same cards. Uh, Also notable for green-white, enchantments. There's a lot of enchantments in green and white. Whether it's auras, global enchantments, enchantments matter cards. You have self-preservation effects in green-white cards like heroic intervention, protection effects. My creatures or my stuff gets hexproof effects, uh, instant speed pump effects to to survive attempts to remove, whatever the case may be, and then you are really good at dominating the battlefield if left unchecked. Weaknesses, uh, your removal is typically inefficient, narrow, or both. Which is to say, your removal is rarely, rarely in your green-white decks do you have unconditional cheap removal. Cards like Ram Through and Primal Might can be cheap, but you've got to have a creature. Cards like uh, Conclave Tribunal, cards like Oblivion Ring, cards like. Uh, bramble crush can be versatile but they cost a lot of mana and then your cards that are really really efficient and good at what they do tend to play very narrow roles cards like veil of summer cards like angel's grace like the more specialized it is in green and white the better it becomes the better job it does pulling its weight It's also difficult to win in a green-white deck without attacking. I'm not saying you can't. You definitely can. There are I-win-the-game cards out there. Uh, You know, you can certainly build a reactive Selesnya deck that eventually snowballs an advantage somehow that kills your opponent. And then you overall have a softness to removal from the other side of the table. Because... As a, as a guild, as a color pair that is dominated by its making creatures relevant, you're going to struggle if you don't have creatures. It's just kind of how this works. You are very board-dominant, board-dependent, and that is definitely something to consider. As far as mechanical identities of Selesnion, The printed mechanics, we've only gotten two that were officially attributed to Had The original Convoke mechanic, which is your creatures, can help pay this card's mana cost. Uh, Each creature you tap while casting reduces the cost by one of that creature's color or one generic mana. Uh, Convoke was their mechanic in Ravnica City of Guilds, and it was their mechanic in Guilds of Ravnica just last year. So what, or I guess it was just not last year, but 2018, fall 2018, Convoke was brought back for Guilds of Ravnica rather than try to design a whole new mechanic. The other mechanic in return to Ravnica was Populate, which is uh, choose a token you control, create a copy of it. Other themes that are prevalent throughout Green and White put together are the use of tokens, creating tokens, and using them for abilities. You know, abilities that allow you to tap an untapped creature you control, those work really well with tokens. Uh, abilities that only, only proc, that only trigger when you have four or more creatures on the battlefield, that's particularly easy to achieve. When you make tokens. So one of the one of the kind of the defining hallmarks of the Selesnia Guild is the creation and usage of tokens. Next up, anthems. We're making lots of creatures. Let's make all of them bigger. Just all of them. All my creatures are big. We go wide and then we go tall. So everybody gets to beat them up whether it's uh, the actual three mana anthems or tribal synergies that come with lords, um, whatever the case may be. Just make a bunch of tokens, make them bigger is a kind of a linchpin hallmark strategy for Greenwood. You have enchantress themes. Whenever you play an enchantment spell or whenever an enchantment enters the battlefield under your control, do this thing. There's a heavy concentration of those cards in green and white. Heavy concentration. And then last but not least, specifically, Auras Matter themes are pretty unique to green and white put together. Yeah, I know you've got them other places. But between cards like Karametra's Blessing, um, creatures like Aura Narlid, Core Spirit Dancer, Cards like Daybreak Coronet that you can only attach to a creature that's already wearing an Aura. There's a a decent collection of protection and hexproof creatures in Green and White, so you get lots of bodies that are reliable to put Auras on. Auras decks are a staple. And that brings me to uh, typical deck archetypes you see for Green and White. And after everything we've said, the first archetype that you typically see associated with green-white is the least, the least thought about, like the least for, forefront in your mind. And that's just playing a bunch of good magic cards. In the earliest days of Magic, one of the biggest mid-range decks was Urnomb Geddon, where you combine the best efficient creature with a mass land destruction spell. So that you could kill all their lands, play this big dumb, you know, play this big dumb creature, kill all their lands, and then beat them to death because they couldn't cast anything as big as your urnumjinn. And then if they did play something, you had swords to plowshares to exile. The next, the you know, the next kind of iteration, the my first iteration of green, white, good stuff, was gase which, while it technically had a token sub theme with cards like Bidugazi, the City Tree, and Glare of Subdul, it was not designed around those cards. It was a green white mid range deck that incorporated those cards. Its main deck was chock full of stuff like Watchwolf, a 2 mana 3 3, Lockson on Hierarch, a 4 mana 4 4. When it enters the battlefield, you gain 4 life. Uh, Yosei, the Morning Star, six drop, five five flying. When it dies, tap down five of their permanents, and they don't untap next turn. Um, Arashi, the Sky Asunder, to snipe a bunch of flyers at once, or just be a big reach body. But frequently, it was just used to kill a big flying thing. You could uh, channel it from your hand and it would just blow up a flyer. And then even more recently, the green-white tokens deck from Battle for Zendikar era. That deck was just a collection of the best cards in Magic, or the best cards in Standard. Gideon, Ally of Zendikar, Nissa, Voice of Zendikar. Good green and white creatures. Dramoka's Command. Some removal collected company like you had access to everything you needed so one of the easiest places to start when you want to look at something to do particularly in a standard format like the one we're in right now which is largely kind of wide open is just look at you know if you want to look at green and white and just play the best cards it's not going to be horrible you can do a lot worse than like the the mono green food deck, splashing Baneslayer Angel at the at the top of the curve, and some removal. Maybe Dronith Magistrate to keep those Croxa players honest. Maybe go ahead and mainboard your hushbringers and then you shut down a lot of the enter the battlefield stuff for the rogues deck. Like there's some stuff there. There's things we can do next up is the tribal decks decks like slivers and pauper humans originally in uh, modern was green white began began its life as green white hate bears and then started to just graduate you know it was the light bulb went off that you could play a bunch of humans in your green white hate bears deck because a lot of them were humans and then you would win the game that way because they couldn't do anything about it you just curve Champion of the Parish into Thalia's Lieutenant and then just plop a, a Leon and Arbiter on the battlefield. And then plop a Thalia Guardian of Thraben onto the battlefield. And Turns out they couldn't do much about that. Because while you're taking advantage of your tribal synergies, you're also disrupting them to death. And then kind of the more the most prevalent recent day tribe for Green White has been cats. Which Sarah loves so dearly. We that's that's our Celestia commander is Mary Weatherlight duelist, Cat Tribal. She loves it. It's her baby. I just I just maintain it for her. Uh, next up are the Enchantress decks, decks that care about playing lots of enchantments. Not to be confused with decks that care about playing lots of auras. I'm talking about decks that want to play stuff like. Yavamaya and Mesa Enchantress, Argothian Enchantress, uh, Enchantress's Presence, these things that say whenever you cast an enchantment spell or whenever an enchantment enters the battlefield under your control, draw a card. So it allows you to play these things that affect the table and then continue to reload for them. Like... Solitary confinement feels unfair in an enchantress deck. Uh, it's you have shroud, creatures can't attack you. Beginning of your upkeep, discard a card. Skip your draw phase, beginning of your upkeep, discard a card. You have shroud, creatures can't attack you. So we'll just play another enchantment and keep drawing cards. And then eventually you close the game out by playing replenish and you buy all your enchantments out of the graveyard. And then one of them is opalescence, which turns all of them into creatures and you kill your opponent. Uh, You also have along that same line, you have your boggles slash auras decks that are very sort of synergy driven. You play a lot of hexproof creatures strap them up with auras and make them into these super mega ultra big dumb creatures and then your opponent dies or they have the edict and you shuffle up and go to game two or you just don't draw enough lands and you shuffle up and go to game two you've got your synergy linear aggro decks decks like hardened the hardened scale shell we were talking about before or currently in standard decks like green white adventure wherein there is a central mechanic that you are trying to exploit And your deck is somewhat at least warped around it to take advantage. It's not always the case. There's honestly like linear green white decks are kind of rare. But they're pretty sweet when they pop up. I do enjoy them. Uh, You've got Disruptive Aggro, one of the most legendary of which is Maverick in Legacy. But even taking that approach to modern Pioneer with, you know, a deck that's just a fat stack of disruptive, dumb creatures. Thalia, Guardian of Thraben. In, in Pioneer, Thalia, Heretic Cathar, Droneth Magistrate, Takali Honor Guard, Hushbringer. Um. <sighs> Excuse me. Spirit of the Labyrinth, Grand Abolisher. These cards that just make your opponent play, draw one card, play cards on my turn, magic. They make them play the fairest form of magic. While beating them to death with a bunch of mopey creatures. And then last but not least, you have sort of the combo aggro decks, which are By and large, just kind of piles of cards that happen to work well together. The most recent example I can give regarding Pioneer would be the Heliod-Ballista combo. But even like in Modern, you've got the Devoted Druid-Vizier of Remedies interaction that just happens to slide into your stupid Collected Company deck. So I mean, whatever the case may be, there is something with your name on it in green-white. And that's that's really all there is to it. Green-white is better than it gets credit for. I never give it enough credit. Because, I mean, if I'm being candid, if I'm being as honest as I possibly can be about it, I never go out of my way to build a green-white deck. I actually frequently try to avoid it. Because I just, like, I don't keep a lot of good green-white cards. I don't keep a lot of the cards that are typically good in green-white decks. Because they're either really expensive or they're really niche. And those are not the kind of cards I keep a hold of unless... I feel like it's going to give me a, a marked, noticeable advantage when I play. So, it's just not the kind of cards I collect. Uh... But it was interesting to get to do a little bit of a dive on it and kind of present, make the case for green-white and get us ready. But anyway, that's all I've got for this week, everybody. I hope you enjoyed it. Remember, puremtgo.com. Remember to, if you like this content and others like it, go to constructivecriticism.com. If you like what I'm doing enough to help me keep doing it, go to patreon.com slash homeworkpathmtg. Um, and last but not least, I am not doing dad jokes this week because we are on the verge of the general election. It's almost election day. So I am going to use this opportunity to remind everybody, if you haven't already, whether it's been absentee or going early in person, go vote because the only way that the, the the only way to be absolutely certain that whoever wins these things deserve to do so is if everybody goes out and votes. You know, outcome be what it is. There were, I think, 90 or 9 million Americans that didn't vote in the last election. Even split down the middle, that's just a ton of people. That's a ton of people. And if it's not split down the middle either way, it could have tipped the scales of the election. So for all of those of you out there who say my vote doesn't matter, my vote isn't important because of where I live, my voice isn't going to be heard. I understand you. I have been one of you. But the fact of the matter is it is a self-fulfilling prophecy because it's not just about one of you. If every single person who said my vote doesn't matter got out and voted, suddenly that voice matters a whole lot more. So please, if you haven't already done so, make a plan to do so on Tuesday. If you got to take off work, Make sure you're masked up, carry sanitizer in with you. Take every precaution you need to. If you got to carry a if you got to carry a 3-foot yardstick, stretch your arm out and slap people that get too close. Do what you got to do. But get up there, make sure your voice is heard. Please. And I will catch you next week. One way or the other. Next week, we're going to be talking about Azorius. It's going to be decidedly less fun because the Azorius are, as we all know, the fun police. So, everyone, go vote, be safe, and I'll be back next week here on the Homeward Path. Take care.